0: Is there someone that you need to forgive today? During the middle of that song, did God maybe move in your heart or bring to mind the name of someone that you have a broken relationship with or a fractured relationship? If so, I've got great news for you today. Uh, The text that we're going to be reading, simple words from Jesus, yet profound words that really do provide for us, in many ways, a get-out-of-jail-free card. A get-out-of-jail-free card. As you see, there are individuals... And find themselves bound up in unforgiveness. Now, maybe that wasn't you. Maybe you are sitting here and you're thinking, well, no, God didn't really bring anyone to mind that I need to forgive. Let me ask you if you would do something. Would you just ask God to help you to listen and to learn uh, from these simple yet profound words of Jesus about ways that you could become an ambassador to help someone else who needs help in putting into practice these words of Jesus today? I believe that Uh, That song uh, is a great picture and a perfect platform for us looking at this message today. You see, we live in a world that is filled with hurt and that is filled with pain of all different sorts. We sang earlier about the creation. You recognize that Genesis 1 and 2 in the Old Testament tell us about God creating all of the world around us, everything that we see that God created. It was good. The Bible says that God created man, and behold, he was very good. And when we get to Genesis chapter 3, sin enters into the world, and sin mars the world that we live in. It twisted and perverted and messed up those things that God made right and good. And until Christ comes again and makes all things new, we're going to live in a world that we're going to experience pain. We're going to experience hardships, difficulties, hard times. Jesus told us that. He said, in this world, you will have troubles. You will have tribulation. He said, don't be overcome by that. He said, instead, he has overcome the world. We can celebrate that. Jesus tells us that there's a way for us to live above that fray. Not that we're going to be immune from hurt, but he helps us know that with him, there is a way to live in this fallen world without having to carry all of that with us. A world filled with pain. This last week, I had an opportunity to be in Nashville, Tennessee. I was speaking with a friend uh, at Lifeway who will be here providing training for our adult life group leaders in October. And he said, let me tell you about one of the most exciting things that I'm doing right now. He said, I'm working with the Tennessee State Penitentiary. I'm working with men who are on death row. And he said, I'm doing this as a volunteer. He said, I kind of got into this inadvertently connected with someone in our church who was in prison. I was asked to come, but the warden asked me if I would continue to come. So I think I was set up. He said, it's really, he said, it's changed my life though. He said, I go in and I spend an hour a week with a different inmate. So let me tell you about one guy that I spent time with the other day. This man, after spending an hour with him, he said, "I, I, I was getting ready to leave. And he asked me, will you be coming back? He said, before I could say to him, yes, I'm coming back, he said, I've been here 27 years. You're the first visitor I've ever had. That's a lot of hurt. Can you imagine? That's hard to imagine being 27 years without anyone coming to see you. He said, I look forward every week to going to see these guys. He said, God's using this to change my life. This past Thursday evening, we had a group of life group leaders that are doing life groups off campus in our home. And one of those leaders was Dick Tunnison. Some of you know Dick Tunnison; He's in a 930 life group right now. But Dick, every Friday, goes to the Virginia Beach City Jail. And he's leading a life group for us there, helping to take the gospel to somewhat of a forgotten population and people sometimes that are just forgotten about. One individual that was in the group sitting with us that night was saying, well, actually, I was incarcerated for eight years at one time. And he said, I had one cousin who drove cross-country to see me one time during eight years. Wow. It's hard to imagine people carrying that kind of pain and living with that. But it occurs to me that not everyone that's in prison is incarcerated in a jail cell. You see, there are actually some people, even sitting here among us today, that find themselves in a prison of their own making. Now, before you turn me off, hold on just a moment. Hear me out. Hear what Jesus has to say about this. I say a prison of your own making because of the words that Jesus says to us today from Mark's gospel. I believe that it's possible for us to lock ourselves up in prison. And the good news from God's word today is that, just like this little Monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card today, Jesus has the answer to help set us free from those things that so often bind us up. I want you to look in your Bible to uh, Mark chapter 11, if you would, beginning with verse 20. I want to read this text to us, and I want to share with you uh, what I believe are uh, instructions that we need to obey or receive and commands we need to obey, but to recognize that there's a consequence that we carry with us in obeying, and there's also a consequence we carry with us for disobeying. If you'll listen to uh, the Word of God in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, the Bible says, "'Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots.'" And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, Whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Fascinating passage of Scripture. But standing alone, it's a little difficult for us to understand exactly what's going on and what's happening. So I want to back up for just a little bit in the text to be sure we understand how it is and where it is that Jesus said this. It wasn't that he was just walking down the road and just began rambling about this. In context, we get a better picture of what it is that Jesus was saying. You recognize that as we've walked through Mark's gospel, we see that beginning with chapter 8, there is a transition in the gospel of Mark. Chapter 8, Jesus begins to make a beeline and a focus on the cross. In chapter 8, Jesus tells his disciples, the Son of Man must go into Jerusalem, and there he will suffer many things. He will be tried to be arrested and tried, and he will be crucified and buried, and on the third day he will rise again. The disciples were not quite sure what all he meant about that, and were somewhat confused about some of the things he was saying. Mark records in chapter nine almost the exact same words. He tells them again, "Son of man's going into Jerusalem, and that will result in his death and his resurrection." Mark chapter 10, we read the same things again. Jesus was intent on helping his disciples be prepared for what was coming. Interesting to me, such a great act of love on the part of Jesus to care for them and to care for us when he knows that we are going to go through hardships to help us know how to be prepared to walk through those difficult days. The Bible says in John chapter 13, verse 1, that Jesus um, loved his disciples And then there's this little parenthetical expression that says he loved them to the very end. Jesus knew what was coming, and yet his focus was still on those who were closest to him, loving them and caring for them. So he was preparing them for his death. When we get to Mark chapter 11, verse 1, we find the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Uh, Verse 1 tells us that they're coming into the city at the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem, and there Jesus sends one of the disciples to get a colt, and they place their robes on the back of the colt, and Jesus begins making this uh, entrance into and toward the city of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that the crowds were excited and ecstatic. They had heard of Jesus, certainly. Many of them had probably had seen him in other places. But they began to sing, and they began to just praise him. They began to take palm branches and wave them and laid them there for the uh, colt to walk on. And they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus doesn't stop this. He allows this to go on. And I believe in his mind he was also knowing that it would only be a few days till the crowd would change their tune. They would be singing a different song. They would be singing, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Barabbas. Some of that same crowd. Jesus knew what was coming. As they make their way on in to Jerusalem, they go into the temple. It's evening. They just look around and make their way back out toward Bethany. The Bible tells us then a story about the next morning that as Jesus and the disciples are making their way back to the temple, Jesus is hungry. He's physically hungry, and he sees a fig tree, and he goes over to see if there's a fig or some fig buds that could be eaten. There's nothing on the tree. It's barren. And Jesus simply makes this statement, may no one ever eat from you again. The Bible says that the disciples heard him say that. And then they make their way onto the temple. Now, some people might mistakenly think Jesus was mad because there were no figs on the tree. That was not it at all. You see, Jesus was, was making a statement. Uh, it was a little bit like some of the Old Testament prophets as they would dramatize some prophecy of what was going to happen. The fig tree represented Israel and Jesus was speaking to the barrenness of Jerusalem. They had missed the Messiah that God had sent to them. And so this was, had other prophetic meaning about Israel. But Jesus made that statement. They go into the temple. He cleanses the temple. There's also barrenness in the temple. Jesus said that this house that is to be called a house of prayer for all nations has been turned into what? He said it's become a den of thieves. Jesus cleanses the temple and drives out the money changers from the temple. And then they're making their way back. That's when Peter makes this observation, Rabbi, that fig tree that you cursed, Look at it. It's dried up. It's shriveled up from the roots up. So it wasn't kind of just out of nowhere that he said this. Peter was making this observation that what Jesus had said had actually become a reality. But look at what Jesus says in response to that. He says, Rabbi, the tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus said to him, have faith in God. Wow. Wow. Seems like an odd response in some ways. What's that all about? Well, I believe that Jesus was helping them with two specific responses that they needed to make to difficulties that were coming their way and that we need to make when difficulties and hard times come our way as well. Jesus responds with this two-part response. The first of that is about having faith in God. They had already seen some things that they were not quite sure about that were a little puzzling to them. The fig tree thing, the cleansing of the temple, uh, the triumphal entry, all of this in their minds is not all crystal clear. And Jesus says to them, look, when you go through difficult times that you don't understand, put your faith in God. Don't put your faith in men, you're going to be disappointed. Put your faith in God. And then he moves on to make another statement that might seem a little unusual because he says, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that these things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Very important that we recognize that this is not the totality of Jesus' teaching on prayer. Jesus had much more to say about prayer, and as a follower of Christ, we would do well to take into consideration all that he said about prayer. This statement assumes that the one praying is already praying according to God's will. Jesus helps us know that in John's gospel. This is not about a vending machine God. Just, you know, I can just just pray for this, believe it, and boom, it's going to happen. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is a Hebrew expression that was not uncommon in other Jewish literature, you see, the disciples would have understood exactly what he meant when he said, if anyone says to this mountain, be moved. That was a picture of doing the impossible. And what Jesus was telling them was that you need to have faith in God because he's the only one who can do what no man can do. He's the only one that can do the impossible. Jesus was not in the landscaping business. He had, he had rejected the temptation to do that earlier. Do you remember his temptation in the wilderness where he was tempted to make a spectacle of himself and to make known his great power so that other people would applaud him? Jesus rejected that. So he was not really talking so much about moving this physical mountain that was around Jerusalem. That was the metaphor that he used to say, God can do the impossible. And when you pray, pray believing that you will receive it. Jesus had already spoken God's word, even toward this tree, and the disciples watched that happen. Again, Jesus has in mind the cross is coming. He sees the cross in his destination. He's trying to prepare the disciples for that cross. And the impossible thing that they are going to need in just a few days would be the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And you know what? They're going to see it. It's incredible. They are going to get to witness personally that. But before they get to witness God doing the impossible, they are going to witness their friend, Jesus, being betrayed by one of their own. They're going to witness Jesus being beaten and scourged. They're going to witness him being tried. And they're going to witness trumped-up charges against him. They are going to watch Roman soldiers drive spikes in his hands and his feet. They're going to watch him die a cruel death on a cross. And what's that going to do for them? It's going to produce great anxiety in them. It's likely to produce hurt. It's likely to produce bitterness in them toward other people. And Jesus knew that. So Jesus, preparing his disciples for what's to come, says to them there really are two elements of successful prayer. First is have faith in God. And the second element, he said, is forgiveness toward men. Look at your text. Verse 25, Jesus said to the disciples, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness toward men. You see, Jesus recognized that likely after his death, the disciples would find themselves gathered together, and maybe even finding it hard to pray out of their discouragement. Their friend, Jesus, they have put in a barred grave. And what's going to happen? And Jesus knew that likely in their hearts there would arise bitterness and maybe anger toward those people who had brought this about. And what did Jesus say for them to do? Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Why would Jesus say this to them? I would say to you first, because it is the truth. Again, Jesus loved the disciples enough, and he loves us enough to tell us the truth. Aren't you grateful for people who will tell you the truth in life? How valuable, and what a great gift Jesus gives to the disciples to help them know that the truth is their response needs to be to forgive. Jesus knew what was best for the disciples, and he knows what is best for us. Because you see, he recognizes what will happen with unforgiveness. Jesus knows that our desire will be for retribution. It will be for fairness. It will be for justice, is what we will cry out for. And yet, he says to the disciples when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Jesus knows that to not forgive will mean a building up inside of us and inside of the disciples of bitterness, of anger, of pain, and of regret. He understood that's what would happen when we choose not to forgive. Jesus had called the disciples to go into the world and make other disciples out of all the nations. How are they going to do that if they're bound up in the prison of their own regret and bitterness? They're going to impact no one. Jesus says to them, you you must forgive. Let me illustrate it this way. If we were going down to Virginia Beach later today and we were walking along the oceanfront, in the sand, and we were barefooted, and somehow along the way, you missed the fact that someone had broken a glass bottle there, and you walked by and stepped on a piece of glass, and this piece of glass is embedded in your foot, and you can't just readily pull it out. Maybe it's just a small piece, but it's embedded, and you can't get it. Well, you're away from your car, and so you kind of walk on the side of your foot, and you sort of hobble your way back along the way, And you're trying to not think about the pain, and you're sort of trying to ignore it, and you keep hobbling back, and you get to your car, and think, I'll I'll deal with this later. And then later, you're thinking, you know, it will probably just take care of itself. You know, God made our bodies to heal themselves, which is an amazing gift. And so we just decide that I'm just going to leave that thing alone, and it will probably be fine. Ray, you're a pathologist. Is that going to work very well? It's not going to work well at all because you know that in a few days you're going to keep trying to just, you know, be tender on this thing and hobble around. It's going to turn red and it's going to swell up and there's going to be infection there. And, and the truth is if you don't deal with it, you could actually have infection to spread through your body and you could become quite ill, possibly even die. You know, that's a picture of what happens to us when we get hurt. When someone does something toward us or against us, And we just decide, I'm just going to ignore that. I'm just going to think that's just going to go away. I'm just not going to think about that. I'm just going to keep hobbling around. I bet nobody will notice that I'm walking funny. They probably won't even notice that I'm carrying this hurt around with me. And until that wound is lanced, until that foreign object is removed and that wound is cleaned out, only then, and, and germs are prevented from getting in, only then will there begin to be a healing process that takes place. You know that God has made our hearts in the same way? And Jesus was telling his disciples the truth when he said to them, look, if you're praying, you're here at the altar, you're praying, or you're sitting in your seat and you're praying, you're in worship and you're praying, and all of a sudden you realize, I got something against that person over there. What does he say to do? He says, forgive them. He says, forgive them. It's not going to get better until we do that. Now, to best understand this text, I think there are two things that have to be clarified. First, this text is not about the forgiveness that leads to salvation. Recognize what Jesus says. Go back to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We sang in that prayer just a moment ago what some have called the forgiver's prayer. Some have called it the Lord's prayer, but some have called it the forgiver's prayer. Why? Because in that prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way, and forgive us our debts in the same way that we forgive our debtors. Wow, I'm not sure I like that. Maybe I would just rather be forgiven on God's basis, not based on how I forgive other people. Now, when Jesus finished teaching the disciples how to pray, he chose one subject to make commentary on. Look at verse 14. He said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, look at verse 15. For if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow, those are weighty words. But Jesus is not talking about the forgiveness that leads to salvation. Recognize that the Bible says in John chapter 3, That when we are saved, the term that's used there is we are born again. We are born into God's family spiritually. It's the work of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says that it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of works. See, this would be works. This would mean that I could only be saved if I've forgiven everyone else. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about this fellowship between us and God. Maybe we'd understand it this way. Have you had an estranged relationship with somebody in the family? Or are there people in your family that have an estranged relationship? They've just decided, we're not talking to each other. We're just going to go to our corners. I'm not going to talk to them. They're not going to talk to me. But you know what happens? Inevitably, there is a family reunion. There's a funeral or there's a wedding. And everybody's got to show up at this thing. And what are those people like? They kind of keep their distance. They just make sure they're not seated at the same table. They make sure they're not sitting on the same pew. They make sure that they just don't cross paths. They might be cordial and say, hey. But they're not going to say, I can't believe we're getting to hang out together. This is so good. Give a big hug. I've been looking forward to seeing you for so long. We've missed one another for six months. Gosh, it's great being with you. That is not going to be that reunion. You see, that is about fellowship. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, are those people still mother and child? Are they still siblings? Are they still aunt and uncle? Yes, they are. And you know what? Even in God's family, we can be in God's family. We can have received forgiveness of our sin of unbelief, of failing to trust in Christ, of failing to call upon him for our salvation. We can receive forgiveness for that sin and be saved. And yet, there can be this blocked-up fellowship between us and God because He makes this connection between our relationships with other people and our relationship with Him. And so when we get together with God, we're not really all that comfortable. We're just kind of thinking, I hope He won't notice I'm over here, okay? we kind of, hey. But we're not embracing Him and saying, it is so good to be here with you. See, that's the prison of unforgiveness. When I choose... To say, I will never forgive them for that. I will never ever forgive them for that. All I have done is just closed the cell on that the door on that cell and locked it up. I'm thinking, I'm gonna show them. No, I just showed myself. I just put myself in a very tiny, tiny box. Jesus knew that and understood that, and he said to his disciples, I don't want you to live your life all bound up in this prison. My plan is for you to live free. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. But if you choose to not forgive those that have offended you, you're choosing to lock yourself up. It's no good for you. It's no good for them. This picture is a reminder as well for us. Maybe if we think about our heart and we think about our heart with there being a door on our heart. There are not two doors on our heart, but a single door. You see, when we open that door to extend forgiveness to other people, the door is also open for us to receive God's forgiveness and his love. But when we slam the door tight and we say, I will never give forgiveness for this, do you know what we've done? We also close the door for God's love and forgiveness to penetrate our heart. It's not that he's not loving us. We can't feel it. We can't experience it because we're the ones that shut the door. It's a dangerous thing to go down this road of unforgiveness because it's a lifetime sentence of those things like bitterness and anger and rage. It's terrible. Forgiveness needs to be defined. It's not about salvation, this forgiveness, this text, and forgiveness also needs to be defined. I know that sounds kind of silly, like, well, I know what it means to forgive, but do you really? Because in our fallen nature, we are prone to come up with our own definition that suits us, that really kind of makes us um, satisfied with what we have done. Forgiveness simply means this it means letting go of the debt, it means releasing someone from an obligation that they owe you anything. Almost 20 years ago, um, I was in Clarksville, Tennessee where we owned a little rent house. And I had a tenant that had uh, signed a lease and a contract and all this kind of stuff. And uh, somewhere along the way, six months into their rental, they got behind on their payment. And then they got behind another month. And by the third month, they kind of moved out overnight, left a mess in the house, and I had a bunch of stuff to clean up. And, boy, it was just driving me nuts. And I found out where they moved to. And so I just made it my business. I thought, well, I'm going to go by there and see them. They owe me money. I'm going to go by and take care of that. Well, I never could catch them at home. And it was about two blocks from, where, from the office of the church. And so I would go out of my way to go by and see if their car was there. One Sunday, I was leaving church, and I had Joshua with me, our oldest son. And he was six, probably, or seven at the time. And he noticed I turned away from our normal route he said, where are we going? I said, we're going to drive by that house where the, where the former renters were, those people that beat us out of that money. And he said, why are we going by there? I said, cause I want to see if they're home. I, I want to get my money. They owe me money. And we drove by the house and there was a new car in the driveway. Oh, just, I thought my head was going to come off. You know, it just drove me nuts. I'm like, those people owe me money. And he saw that on me. And he looked at me and he said, dad, why don't you just forgive them? And I thought, you're six years old. What do you know about anything? Just be quiet over there. I didn't say that, but I was thinking it in my heart. I was like, what do you know about anything? Goodness, are you ridiculous? But you know what God did? God used that little six-year-old to just speak the truth, penetrate my heart. I went home, thought about that, prayed about that. I took out a piece of paper and a pen, and I wrote these people a letter. And I said, I am just going to write to inform you, God has led me to forgive this debt completely. You owe me zero. You know what happened? They didn't even send me a thank you note. Can you believe that? No, sorry, that's not what happened. They didn't. That was the irrelevant part, seriously. Because forgiveness, forgiveness is not about the other person. Do you know what? When I put that letter in the mail, put a stamp on that and dropped it in the mail, God just did something to me and just, man, that burden was gone. I saw them three or four weeks later. I was coming out of a store, out of a 7-Eleven or something, and they were coming in. I just smiled, spoke to them, and went on. Do you know what? There was nothing in my heart that said, you owe me money. Not at all. Now, see, some people think that forgiveness is forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I remember that story. But you know what? When I remember those people, I don't remember them as people who owe me money because they have a letter from me that says they owe me nothing. They don't owe me anything. I just, I gave that, I chose to just give that up. But can I tell you, I was the better person after it was over. I was carrying the lighter load. I opened the door and was freed from this bondage of having to be mad and angry and all ticked off about somebody taking something from me. Jesus said, when we come to worship, we're praying, and realize that we have anything against anyone, we have a responsibility. And our responsibility is to forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your sin. You know, it is releasing my right to hear an apology. Some people define forgiveness by saying, I'll forgive them when they say I'm sorry. That's what I'll do. When they say, I'm sorry, by golly, I'm forgiving them. That's what Jesus said. He said, look here. He said, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him if he says, I'm sorry. Is that what it says? No. Jesus didn't give us that out. He didn't give us the opportunity to say, now, you've got to jump through some hoops before I'll forgive you. That's me still withholding forgiveness. Forgiveness is not based on a feeling, but it's based on the fact that Jesus called us to forgive it is choosing not to remember the debt that is owed to us. See, forgiveness means releasing your rights to dwell on and keep bringing this up, this offense up, over and over and over again. Well, for time's sake, we got to move on quickly. Let me just share with you five quick thoughts on how do we do this, because that's what this question, this text begs. How do, how do I do that? How do I forgive someone? I read a book by Bruce Wilkinson this week called uh, You Were Born for This. Some of you read that book. Chapter 12 of that book talks about the key of forgiveness, and he outlines these five steps, and I'm going to share them with you just the way he shares them in the book because I think they are right on target. He says, in order for us to forgive, we first have to identify the person. That's what Jesus said, if you have anything against anyone. This is not a matter of just saying, okay, I forgive everybody for everything they've ever done against me, okay? That's like praying, God bless everybody in the world, okay? That's not very specific. Identify who is it that needs, that you need to forgive. Second thing is um, isolate the need. What is the real hurt? What is it that someone did? Say it, write it down, figure out what is it that someone offended me with. Did they hit me? Did they gossip about me? Did they say something ugly to me? Have they hurt me in some way physically uh, or emotionally? What is it that they've done? Identify that specifically. I said to you, I wrote that letter. I, I wrote exactly what it was. They owed me this money and now they owe me zero. Third thing is open your heart. Matthew chapter 18, and we don't have time to go there today, but I want to encourage you if you are pursuing and trying to understand more about forgiveness, read Matthew 18 from cover to cover or from start to finish. You'll find an interesting story about an unforgiving servant in there who Jesus described as in our day and time would be like being forgiven millions and then going and shaking down his buddy who owed him lunch money and, and um, beating him up and throwing him in jail to give him a couple of bucks back. And Jesus speaks in that passage about our forgiveness from the heart. Some people might think, well, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt me, and that's going to be hard to do to forgive someone. Let me ask you this. How does carrying the bitterness and anger around feel? Is that good? No. It may be hard to do, but it's also going to be hard not to forgive, to choose not to forgive someone for what they've done for you. You need to look at Jesus as our model Jesus would be the one who would model for the disciples in just a few days from this text reading, saying to those who were taking his very life, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus offered forgiveness. He also calls us to do the same. Jesus would not call you to forgive other people if he didn't also equip you to do that. We need to recognize and think about justice, that That It's the Lord who said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. See, we're to repay no one evil for evil. We can turn people over to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to trust you to handle whatever justice needs to be issued out or meted out here. I'm not the one to deliver the justice. But we must recognize that we're our own jailer. Again, the forgiveness comes from our heart, and the torment in our lives will not end until we make a choice. To forgive. The fourth act he said that we needed to follow in terms of forgiving is to forgive verbally. Again, he's not talking about to the person necessarily, just for you to be able to state, I forgive fill in the blank their name for fill in the blank what they did. You need to cross that bridge in your heart and mind to be able to say, I am releasing this person from the debt that they owe to me. And people have all kinds of debts against people. Again, some people think, you owe me an apology. That's what you owe me. You owe me an apology. Some people would say, you owe me restitution. You owe me that rent money, okay? If you don't do that, then this is not done. Or you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. We need to state verbally, I'm forgiving them. And then the fifth one, maybe the most unusual of all, and that is acknowledging your sin acknowledging my sin you might think well man that's weird what are you talking about because am i not the offended party am i not the one that had something done to me what's my sin in this recognize that our sin comes from that last text i just read in verse 25 just a moment ago what did jesus tell us to do if we realize that we had something against someone what are we supposed to do one more time forgive them okay great And if I have been withholding that forgiveness, guess what that makes me? Sinning against God. I have sin that needs to be forgiven myself because I have lived in disobedience to Christ. He clearly says to me, forgive. And if I'm choosing to say, nope, not going to forgive him. I'm just going to hold on to this. And what I'm doing is kind of shaking my fist in the face of God and saying, I know you said to, I'm not going to. I'm just not gonna. And when we do that, we place ourselves in this very, very, very tiny jail cell of unforgiveness. Today, Jesus gives us a get-out-of-jail-free card. How do we do that? Faith toward God and forgiveness toward men. People are in prison everywhere. Next week... We have the opportunity to serve people in this community. And can I promise you and assure you that there are going to be people that we're going to be serving who find themselves in this jail cell of unforgiveness. And they're walking around carrying things with them from days gone by. John Adams preached in the last service, and he told me about an encounter he had recently on a trip in Richmond about a man that was, um, had just carried this bitterness and anger toward this doctor um, for... Sometime, or a, a, about a, a surgery that had gone badly or something. I'm not sure what the situation was. But he said, this guy was just livid about this. And I said, when did this happen? And he said, 18 years ago. And he said he was describing it like it happened last week at the hospital. Big Serve gives us an opportunity to touch the lives of people in the name of Jesus. And I pray that As you are serving out in this community, there will be opportunities for you to engage people in conversations where you might even be able to be the voice of God for them, to help them see, aren't you ready to forgive that person? Maybe that's how God would use this. There are two paths today. Jesus clearly describes those. One leads to bitterness, pain, anger, and regret. The other path of forgiveness leads to love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, patience, gentleness, and self-control. Which one of those sounds like the best life to you? I can tell you the life that is free from all of this baggage of not being able to forgive other people. So what do we do today? My encouragement to you today is to be obedient to what Christ calls us to do. Is there someone that you need to forgive today? I notice my language. I didn't say, is there someone who needs your forgiveness today? Is there someone that you need to forgive today? This is the day to do that.